Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I think this is episode 22, but regardless, welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast, where we focus on making you better leaders on and off the field. Uh, so today's special guest is Andrew Kobian. So Andrew is the Director of Player Development at Hofstra University um, on the basketball side. And I know he's not a soccer coach, but Andrew and I actually both went to Centenary at different times and were recently connected uh, by AJ Yule, who was on the podcast recently. But um, Andrew, thanks for taking the time and coming on, man. Man, I'm so flattered for this opportunity. You do a great job with your podcast and you've had some awesome guests on here. I just hope I could uh, live up to the high standard. I'm going to try my best, but uh, we'll see how we do, man. Oh, my man, I didn't even have to pay you to say that. So this is great, man. So, you know, the, the first thing I want to ask you is, we were just talking about this pre-podcast, is what made you choose Centenary? And and I've had a couple of my former teammates on, so I like to ask them and, you know, figure out where you came from. So what was it about Centenary that a small Division three school that you loved so much about it? So very interesting story, and I feel bad for the coach who recruited me to Centenary because I kind of strung him along. I didn't know or decide I was going to go there until July. I um, am from Long Island, played for a a really good, credible program over here at St. Dominic's High School. And I was, you know, deciding on which school to choose and had people still actively recruiting me. Division threes and division twos. My goal was I really wanted to go to a division two school and play basketball. So I was kind of holding on to that dream. And Coach Andy DiStefano, who was a great mentor in my life and still is, was actively recruiting me throughout the whole process and into the summer. And I went up there and there was a lot of construction being done. And it was kind of like buying into a dream and a vision versus what was in front of you right there. And it's amazing how everything happens for a reason. And I just, the second I visited that campus, even with all the uh, things going on and I just said to him, coach, I think I'm going to come here. I want to come here and I'm excited. And it ended up being one of the best decisions of my life. So it's so funny how everything happens for a reason and, you know, why I didn't end up in certain institutions and schools. And, you know, I'm blessed to, uh, to have made that choice. For sure. For sure. You know, that's what everyone asked me about what I chose about Centenary. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. I just, I saw it. It felt right. And it was similar to you, you know, we had the turf field being built. So we were, I was being sold on a vision and, you know, it, it drew me there. But um, going into your time at Centenary, so guys, Andrew ranks fifth all time in program history and games played. Um, what was it about the teams or that, you know, how were you, would you consider your time at Centenary successful in the four years that you played? Oh, most definitely. I mean, before I went to that school, their, their season win total was two wins prior to that. And, I came in with a really good freshman class. Two of my friends ended up uh, scoring a thousand points by the time they graduated. And I was just happy to be a background dancer and be a part of the uh, program building and trending in the, in the right direction. And unfortunately, after my freshman year, Coach C. Stefano got let go and the program went to another direction. And another one of my mentors, Coach Enrico Mastriani, who's now at Marywood University, took over and we really grabbed the bull by its horns for lack of better terms and turned that into a respectable program. And it's been great now. And I was just very fortunate to uh, be part of that, that groundwork that, you know, is where it is today. And it was, it was exciting and, and it's tough, you know, my freshman year, we only won four games and 
you got to stay positive again. It's all about buying into a vision. And Coach Mastriani took over, and it was there was a lot of bumps in the roads, especially between me and him. But I'm forever grateful, and I talk to him at least once a week. And the lessons I've learned and about winning and about building a culture, I apply to cult coaching every day. For sure. So what were some of the things that he did to help build his culture and turn the the four win program into, you know, however many games you guys ended up winning? I'm sure, you know, it was double digits. But, you know, what did what were some of the things that he did well in building that culture? So he just really taught me about accountability. I was a sophomore. I was a little uh, on the wild side and kind of flew by the seat of my pants on and off the court, too. And really forced me to grow up and realize that I shouldn't be putting myself in detrimental situations and nothing, nothing major, like being in a room when there's where there's alcohol, we have 48 hour rule and, you know, examples like that and just really putting the team first. And I always thought I did that until you really have to make certain sacrifices as far as not going out or leaving a situation that maybe you shouldn't be in or just holding yourself personally to a higher standard from a work ethic standpoint. And I think that, uh, was crucial in taking over a young but talented team. We just needed some structure, and he was awesome in that aspect. And, you know, we ended up winning, I believe, 13 games and making pushes to the playoffs and, you know, really laying the groundwork for, for I think, where it's at today. And the coaches who have taken over for Coach Mastriani have done an amazing job. And it's awesome when I look back every year and keep tabs on it to see the win totals just keep going up and up. And that place has a – a special part of my heart and it helped me become a man. So I love where it's going and I love that school. So, yeah, you know, I think, I think you touched on a, an important part and it's, I think tough for a lot of 18 to 22 year olds to understand is not putting yourself in certain situations and really sacrificing your personal life and your social, social life for the betterment of the team. And, you know, I know when I was in college, I, I didn't do that nearly enough. And, you know, we all talk about, you know, team first, team first, but if you were to audit your life and your actions, you know, are you really putting the team first? Like, I, I think even something as, you know, eating a, an unhealthy meal the night before a game is selfish. You know, whether whether or not you perform, you know, if you don't perform because you eat because, you know, you eat something, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think something like that, even though it's little, can still be a selfish reason. And, you know, I think you touched on an important point that a, a lot of people need to or a lot of student athletes should understand a little bit more. Um, so when did you decide finally that you wanted to enter the coaching ranks and was it something that you kind of always knew or, you know, when did you decide that coaching was going to be for you? I loved basketball. It was my whole life and every kid has a dream of continuing it after, after you play college basketball. And, you know, at times you got to come to grips with that. Some people's, some people have to come to grips with that sooner rather than later. And mine was very soon. I would say about my junior year, I started really looking at the game differently and looking at how to handle myself and and trying to see if this is something I would want to do and taking bits and pieces of what we were doing in our program and implementing them in my mock program. And I think that um, by my junior year, this really became something I was serious about. And by my senior year, I started asking Coach Mastriani some more questions. I'd pull him aside and in a good way, just like, why are we doing this? And what do you think about this? And he knew that I, we've had conversations that I wanted to get into coaching. And I think that he was great in, in helping me and answering and being patient with a, with a young guy and um, 
he just said, I think you're going to do a great job if this is something that you want to do. And that confidence he had in me was, was awesome. And I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah. Do you, have you noticed like in, in your different coaching roles, when certain, like the certain guys that ask those questions, like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Are really like the more of the leaders of the group and team captains in that nature? Sure. And I think that they're, they're, willingness to learn as well because anytime questions spark in your mind whether they're big questions or small questions it just shows your ability to to want to learn and to think outside the box too like for instance this year our point guard DeJore Bowie who was first team all conference could have been player of the year he could teach the playbook to our new guys better than anyone on our staff that's just the type of kid he is and I always say to him you're going to be one heck of a coach if you want to do this and I'm always like, hey, listen, just don't forget about me. Hire me. You're my guy, please. But um, I think those guys really, uh, not to say that people people come to that realization at different stages in their life, but I think those active learners are really people who have great potential in the coaching world. Absolutely. So once you graduated, what was your first coaching role? So graduate from Centenary. And I had an opportunity to become a GA there. And I was so stubborn. And it all worked out, thankfully, because I had my master's. But didn't want to go back to school. Didn't want to go back to school. Went back to Long Island. And you talk about getting breaks and just having influential people in your life. I had my high school coach set up a meeting with a uh, longtime Division II head coach, Sal Logano, who was at New York Tech, New York Institute of Technology in Long Island was 15 minutes away from my house. He had a full staff. I walked in there with a probably a suit that was three sizes too big and uh, a resume that probably was not uh, legible. But I said, hey, coach, I know you got a full staff and I really want to become a coach. And everyone says you have a great reputation. I would be extremely grateful if I had any opportunity to work with you. He was by far one of the most influential people in my coaching life because of how he treated me as a person, as a coach. His his teaching style was unbelievable. He took a young kid who was 22 years old and really instilled confidence in me. And, you know, I started off there as a volunteer, but was full assistant coach, gave me full responsibility in all aspects of the program. And, you know, worked my way up the ladder and ended up making a couple bucks, but was just super, super supportive and Again, patient too, because you're young, you think you know everything. And I was coaching guys who were 24 and I was 22. And he just said, hey, listen, like, these are certain things that I think will help in your in your growth and the way you handle it. And he had such a calm, patient demeanor that I think it was perfect for my first coaching opportunity. I'm a very impatient and kind of aggressive personality. And I think that me working under him for four years was tremendous and I wouldn't trade it. No dollar amount could put a price on the the valuable lessons I learned from him in and off the basketball court. Absolutely. So what were, what were some of your main responsibilities during your time there? So initially I was involved heavily in working out the guys. I was fresh out of college so I could still play. And I had a sense of, um, how things operate in the weight room. So I would go in there and put together little programs for them and, and lift with them at times or just instruct them what to do. And basically a lot of hands-on activity with the players, which was awesome. And then as I grew more comfortable, 
I started asking for more responsibility and started doing scouts, film breakdown and, and paper format as well. And I started handing them to him and he was awesome. And when I saw him starting to use the DVDs, I used to make him and burn him and, and the paper format, I was just like, wow, you know, this guy's been doing it for 19 years. And there were times where he, he knew enough about the opponent we were playing that he would just take it and breeze over quick and knew it was great and handed it to our guys. And that really instilled a lot of, like I said, confidence in me as a young guy that, that propelled me into wanting to do more. And I guess working harder when you have someone who believes in you that you want to make them proud and you want to do a good job. So your effort, I would have stayed up, you know, 72 hours if I, if I had to just to do, do right by him and the team. Yeah. So how, how important would you have, would you say like that hands-on stuff that you did with the guys did that, you know, did that help them buy into what you were saying? Just being that you won, you came from a division three program. So, you know, some guys might feel that they're better than you and they know more than you just because of the level that they're playing at. But, you know, you showed them that you could still play with them. You, you knew what you were doing in the weight room. So did that, did that help the buy-in and get them to trust what you were saying? Oh, it was, it was huge. But I also think that me caring about them as a person and taking that approach was, was, was massive as well. Like, my whole thing was, and I told the guys, I live 15 minutes away. Anytime you want to work out day or night, you call me, I'll be there. Anytime you want to sit and watch film, I'll be there. And I think that effort and what we call it in the business too is like that sweat equity effort is something that was huge in them trusting me because you want them to feel like you have their best interests. And if you're waking up at six in the morning and getting there and even helping a guy put up a hundred free throws, you know, that that's going to pay huge dividends down the road when you're trying to instruct them or tell them that, you know, this might not be the best read, or I think you should do this. And I think once you build that trust, they'll be willing to do anything for you. And he was awesome with allowing me to do that. And I think it worked both ways too. He had a young guy that could be there whenever he needed someone there. And uh, I was grateful to do it. I just, you know, loved and wanted more experience and more responsibility. So he was, I, I'm going to say this for the rest of the eternity. He was awesome in my uh, development. So w- when did you, when did you start to feel that he started trusting you more um, with day-to-day responsibilities with scouting and h- and how did you get him to trust you more and more every day? I think just by showing up and doing the work and being sincere and, and again, like he didn't really know me. So I had to develop a relationship with him and that takes time, but I would like to think, you know, if I got hired in August, once October hit and we really started to do basketball stuff, I think I had enough time where he, he might not have fully trusted me, but says, okay, this kid's in, he's, he's here every day and he's on the court and he's helping guys and anything he asked, I was willing to do. And the theme, as you know, in coaching is like, there's no job too big or too small. And if I had to run to the dorm room and pick up a guy and, and speed him back over here. So he wasn't late for, uh, our workouts or team meeting, that's something that I had to do. And if I needed to drop the guys off at Chipotle so they could get some food and, you know, any tasks that he needed me to do, I think that was a great way to earn his respect and to earn his trust. Yeah. So you were there for four years and then, uh, then your next stop was at pace, right? Yep. That's correct. So what was the decision to leave and, and take a new position at pace? So, after we finished year four at New York Tech, my boss was retiring from the college scene, not permanently, but 
He was a teacher. He was the head of the phys ed department at St. Anthony's High School, a great school in Long Island here. And he was part-time at New York Tech and his daughter was just entering the school. And as timing happened, the basketball head coaching job opened up and he felt like it was time for him to spend some more time at the school and be with his daughter. And he took that job and ended up building into a Long Island powerhouse that just came fresh off of a Long Island championship. And I was kind of at a crossroads. I didn't think I was going to get the head coaching job at New York Tech, which is fine. I think I needed some more experience too. And as timing happens, one of my college assistants, when I played at Centenary, Matt Healing, gets the head job at Pace University. And someone on his staff is Eddie Ryan, who also was my assistant coach. And it just felt like a perfect opportunity for me to learn and grow. I was 27 years old and I took a uh, a graduate assistant job there for them. And, you know, at the time I was a little skeptical because I didn't want to go back to school and I was a little older. I was going to be sitting in class with maybe some 22, 23 year olds, but it ended up being an amazing decision. I got to coach in the NE10, which is one of the best division two conferences in the country for what I think is one of the best division two coaches and Matt healing. He's turned that place around. They just had the, uh, most wins in program history. And when he took over, they were the worst team in the region and got to learn from him some more and Eddie Ryan. And those guys are lifelong friends. And I was able to do something that no one in my family has ever done and get their master's degree. So got to check a lot of boxes. And again, Coach Healing gave me so much responsibility. And I was working for people who genuinely cared about me. So I think it was the perfect, the perfect storm. Wow. That's an amazing story. So, um, so you're finally ready to go back to school, um, or at least get your master's. So what, what were some of your now responsibilities in maybe a different role at Pace than New York Tech? So I really, really got tested in my time management skills and I was given so much basketball responsibility, which I was thrilled about. So I had to pick a major my undergrad was in sports management and business, so I didn't think that that was going to be a possibility with Pace being a great academic school and their business program being really good that I could do that. And I wanted, my main focus was to do as much basketball stuff as possible. And I ended up going to media and communications because that major was on campus still. I would be able to have you know free reign as far as going to class quick and running back to the gym or being available for, for coach healing whenever he was needed and ended up being, an, again, here's another theme, like one of the best decisions of my life. And um, it led me to starting my own podcast and building a amazing network through that university. And it's something that I, I really enjoy. And, and that major was very hands-on. And I think that's one of my strengths. And again, it allowed me to, uh, to coach basketball full-time. I was a graduate assistant, but coach healing treated me as a full-time coach and you know, if that meant that I had to wake up at five in the morning and do some homework because I needed to be at the gym at seven and check classes and help with planning practice or breaking down a film, then so be it. And again, it was it was awesome. And I think that it helped me grow up a lot. I moved away from home. I love Long Island. It's been here my whole life. And I got to, it wasn't far, but I got to move up to Westchester and kind of, you know, get to know myself a little bit better and take on more responsibility in life. And I think it was great. Yeah. So where, when you took that job at Pace, where did you see yourself grow from, you know, year one at New York Tech to year four 
and now year five uh, in a new position. Are, like, are you starting to develop kind of your own coaching style, philosophy, and always thinking like, this is what I'm, I'm going to take when I'm a head coach? You know, what were maybe like one or two things that you felt um, the most growth in? Well, I think that that both were have a huge impact on who I am now. But when I was at New York Tech, I was up there all day. I would be up there from 10 to 7. And then I would, because I was part-time, I would have to run to the next job or, you know, wake up early in the morning and open up a gym. So I think that once I got up to pace and was on that campus and was able to take care of my schoolwork, I think my attention to detail as far as preparing for teams and and being part, I worked with two full-time coaches that were on that staff. So not that I didn't learn this at New York Tech because I learned so much and I was there a lot, but I really got a chance to learn what it takes and what a full-time assistant coach really is. Eddie Ryan did a great job. He was there from morning till night. He still does a great job. And I think that set the tone on how to prepare uh, and grow as a as a professional in the business. Yeah. So how much do you ever feel that there's a lot of pressure on you when doing a scout? Like, because if you, if, if they trust you enough to do the scout of an opponent, then, you know, do you ever feel like you got to watch this over three, four five times over just to make sure it's perfect? Sure. I mean, the thing is in this game, it's never going to be perfect but you want to be as prepared as possible. And I think it's a good thing when you're a little no – no one's saying you don't want to sleep for a week if your scout's coming up, but I think it's good when you have that nervous energy because it means that you're going to turn over every stone. And, of course, everyone wants to win. You want to win every scout, but that's just not realistic. And I tell people all the time, you got to tell some fans sometimes, like, hey, you know, the other team's prepping to win too. But you just want to make sure you do the best job you can because you don't want to let the people you're working for down or the players down. And I think that the players respect that if when they ask questions, you have answers on the team and the opponent and the players and the tendencies. And I think that if there's a lot of what ifs in your scout, that's a big problem. Like, well, I don't know, but what if this and that? Like, you're not going to be able to answer every single question, but you want to be prepared as possible. So if those questions do come up, you have a educated answer to give your head coach and your players. Absolutely. So. When you finished up at Pace, what what was the decision now to again to well you got your master's so congratulations there. Uh, so oh I don't want to skip the step. So you started uh, coaches and coffee the podcast. You're the host. So how was this podcast started? Because I know you mentioned that it was started at Pace. Yeah, it's very another crazy story. So I just finished year one of my master's at Pace, and I'm working a camp in Long Island, and I have all my Pace gear on, and um. It's, you know, July and I'm getting ready to go back to school and I'm excited. I think we're going to be really good. And someone comes up to me who's working the camp and says, hey, there's an opportunity at Hofstra. Would you be interested? And of course, everyone says, you know, if you're in the business long enough, everyone knows someone who could get you a job and this and that. So I said, sure. Not thinking anything of it. And then, you know, later that day, the same guy comes up and says, hey, you're going to get a call from a Philadelphia number. It's from Colin Curtin. He's the director of basketball operations at Hofstra. And, you know, they're going to they're gonna reach out to you and see if you're interested in the video coordinator spot. And now I'm thinking my head is going crazy. Can't really <laughs> focus. Uh, a lot of emotions going on. First person I know I have to call is my boss, Matt Healing. And he was awesome. And I just said to him, this was unexpected. This all literally happened today. And um, he was super supportive and said, 
you have to go, you have to go interview. So with him having my back gave me a lot of confidence rolling into the interview. So after I talked to Colin at Hofstra, he said, yeah, just come over after camp. And I was like, well, I'd love to, uh, you know, get my change, throw in a suit, shower up. He's like, no, just come right over. Long story short, um, Coach Mahalik was great. I sat down with him, sat down with Colin, got to uh, meet our associate head coach, Mike Fairley, and, you know, Hofstra. One of my dreams was to uh, get on a Division One staff and at home, which is Hofstra, which as a kid growing up, like if you're from Long Island, New York, it's one of those dream schools. And it was amazing. And I couldn't say yes fast enough when they uh, they offered me the job. So getting back to the Masters, I was only a year into my Masters. And it's something that I really wanted to finish now that I started it. So long story short, I'm at the end of my Masters. I'm finishing it up while working at Hofstra. And the last thing on my list is a thesis paper. And my head of the department at the time was we were trying to figure out a way to get creative and allow me to write my thesis or complete the the degree without being on campus. And I pitched starting a podcast and she was a little skeptical, but then eventually, you know, she, she lined up and it ended out working great. And I had a podcast for the second semester of my master's. And once I graduated, I stopped it. And I had people reaching out to me saying, Hey, you know, are you going to make any more episodes? I think it was awesome. And uh, I really like to see you do it. So I was like, wow, kind of flattering, kind of shocked that people were actually listening, <laughs> but ended up bringing it back and have kept it going ever since. And it's been, it's been a blessing. It's allowed me to get out of my comfort zone. It's, it's really pushed me to network more and meet some great people. I've had some awesome people on the show and have some upcoming guests that are phenomenal. And I'm grateful because again, it's, it's a way to kind of stand out a little bit and get out of my comfort zone. I wasn't good with technology or any of that stuff that includes making a podcast, as you know, how, how tedious and difficult it can be. And it's been, uh, it's been awesome. So that's kind of how it started. And, uh, I'm thankful to keep it rolling and I'm thankful for all the listeners out there who support me, uh, on every episode. It's been great. For sure. So what, what was it about you, by the way, from the camp that made this guy want to say like, Hey, these people from Hofstra or like, what was it that you did to make this guy put his name out there to the Hofstra coach? So it's funny you bring that up, and I have no clue if this worked or not, but it's something that resonated with me, and I'm going to continue to do it as long as I'm in any any business, in any workforce, in any task I, I attack, is I wanted to be, since I got into coaching, the first person in and the last person out, and that was even with camps too, you know, having that mindset before I got the job at Hofstra got me to become a finalist at Stony Brook University for their director of basketball operations. I worked their camp for four years and it was 40 minutes away. And I really tried to be the first person in that gym and the last person to leave. And I think having that mentality after knowing this guy who presented my name to the staff for at that time, five years, I think that made it easier for him to recommend me. And uh, I'm thankful for that. But I think that mindset, simple tasks like that, simple thing like you always think ah no one's watching no one's noticing and the thing i learned in this business is someone's always watching and someone always notices we're in a business of having uh great attention to detail and something like that i, I know for me when we run our camps at hofstra does not go unnoticed so i think having that mindset 
could have played a huge help in uh, having him recommend me. For sure. So what were you doing though, during that time when you were the first person there, the last one to leave, like you weren't just bullshitting, right? You were, were you like, you were in the trenches cleaning up, setting up, whatever it may be, right? Sure. Whatever anyone needed at that, at that uh, camp. And also if guys were there, you know, helping work them out or teaching a skill, you just want to bring extreme effort to anything you do, as you know. And I think that we were outside too. This was an indoor outdoor camp and the indoor gym was hotter than the outdoor gym when you were on the blacktop. So I think that having a consistency of high energy and high effort also helps too. So if you do that from the time the doors open at the camp and the time you shut the doors, I think it's, you know, great things going to happen. Absolutely. So when you stepped into or onto Hofstra's university, onto their, into their court, into the office your first day, what were the emotions going through you? Scared, very scared because (laughs) I had put, could be a good thing or a bad thing getting to the division one level on such a high pedestal that once I got it I didn't want to lose it mm-hmm. and I was very frightful because I was going into a role where it was a non-coaching role and it was very specific role and I think that you know I took myself for lack of better terms off the road which is recruiting and off the basketball court which is instructing and helping out with workouts to take a job that was out of my comfort zone but I think I needed to do that. I needed to add that piece of my coaching uh, repertoire to become a better coach in general. So I was not comfortable initially with using all the equipment and breaking down stuff and, and converting and breaking down film and really getting in detail. Not that the division two and three levels don't have in-depth scouts, but once we got to the mid-major level, once I got there, I mean, I was blown away by the basketball knowledge and by the tendencies and what we look for. And I worked with a great coaching staff that really, really does not leave a stone unturned. And I think that was awesome for me. But initially, I was nervous because I got presented with a dream opportunity and I didn't want to screw it up. So uh, once I got more comfortable, I think that's a huge credit to Coach Mahalik and the staff because they were awesome with me, super patient. You know, mistakes were made initially and I was teaching myself the new scouting software and program breakdowns and whatnot. And I think that they were, they were awesome and patient with me during that process. And I'm forever grateful for that. And, you know, now I'm not perfect at it, but I think I'm pretty comfortable with doing that. And I think I needed to do that in order to become a better coach. Absolutely. So now, you know, I guess you're well-rounded now, you know, you're getting all sides of things, but, um, so what, now that you're in your third coaching role, and you've worked with some amazing coaches. What are some of the similarities that you've noticed about each of these coaches? So one thing that stands out for everyone I've crossed paths with is a relentless work ethic. There's a reason why they're head coaches. There's a reason why they're assistant coaches. And, you know, thankfully I've been a part of three successful programs now. Um, Their work ethic is unreal. And you think you're working hard and then you look over and you see the boss man who's probably haven't slept in three days, putting double the effort. You're just like, man, one, it's inspiring. And two, it pushes you to level up because you don't have a choice. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the phrase sit with winners. The conversation is different and work with hard workers because your effort's going to be different. And I think that's one thing that uh, everyone I've crossed paths with has had. I think their attention to detail is unreal as well 
And that's something that I need to continue to develop on. And I think I've gotten a lot better at it, especially since the start. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that because you always want to be around people who make you better. And you want your kind of weaknesses to be exposed in a crazy way because you want to know what you need to work on. Absolutely. And, and the third thing is too, like, I've worked with really good people. I tell young coaches all the time, you can't put a price on working with good people. I've been very fortunate, knock on wood. I'm so grateful and I hope to continue that. And, you know, I think if you're a good guy, good things happen. And I've always tried to do things the right way. And, you know, it's right now it's worked out. I'm three for three, worked for three awesome staffs and uh, they're all successful. And um, I'm very fortunate. So, yeah. So what are some of the ways, I'm sorry, is this your second year at Hofstra? Um, so now I just finished my, uh, fourth year there. Oh, fourth year. Okay. Yeah. Three as a video coordinator in this past season, I was, uh, promoted to director of player development, which was awesome. Thrilled. Coach Mahalik gave me an awesome opportunity. I'm again, grateful for it. Yeah. So what's the difference in roles? So I still do all the video breakdown, all the video stuff, whatever the coaching staff needs. And now uh, Coach has given me more basketball responsibility, which is amazing. Uh, that's what you want to – if you want to, you know, coach at the Division One level or just coach in general. I've, uh, I'm involved in all basketball strategies, meetings, practice planning. Um, as much as I can be in recruiting as far as watching film and helping pass along film to those coaches. But obviously those – our assistants are great and they work their butts off to bring high-level players in for Hofstra and Coach does as well. And they get a chance to see them firsthand. But anything they need on the back end, as far as that goes, I'm, I'm there to help. And the one thing that, you know, I'm sure if you're in it long enough, everyone knows is you got to be, unless you're the head coach, and even more so with the head coach, excuse me, but if you're below, you got to be a problem solver. So anything and everything those guys need. So still, if you got to drop a guy off to that class or you got to run coach to the airport, I think those are all opportunities where you continue to build trust and relationships so there's no test too big or too small so uh short answer is anything and everything the coaching staff needs and the players need but uh that's a little long-winded answer as well what i was uh saying before but it's been great and again super thankful for coach for the opportunity and the trust that he has in me in order to do that yeah you know and i think you touched on an important point and i actually heard it Uh, i think it was like the head strength coach uh at smu he was speaking about it and he was like anybody below you know like the head coach like he mentions be a problem solver you know like don't don't wait for the coach to ask you questions or whatever it may be it's just solve the problems you know be the best at what you're going to be and the the way he referenced it was like if you're the nutrition person like don't let me or don't give me an answer that you don't know when i have a question about nutrition it's like you know just be be all in with that so um, you know, being a problem solver as an assistant, I think is an important role. So, you know, again, what I want to ask is how are you getting these players to to buy into you and to help them buy into the coaching staff? Just having genuine, genuine um, emotions to them and being a genuine person and showing that you truly care about them because you want their best interests. And whatever the case may be and anything they need from you just being there. And I think a lot of things that get, get passed over on is caring about them as a person, as far as every conversation with them doesn't have to be about basketball. Um, sometimes guys just need an ear to, to vent to about a girl or about a class that's kicking their butt or, 
you know, family stuff at home. You just want to be there for them on and off the court. And I think that getting to know them as a person, getting to know what they're interested in plays a huge role. And I think that goes a long way. Um, and again, just showing up and having the effort. You got to have an effort for them. They got to know that you're willing to do whatever it takes to help them be successful. If that's literally sitting there for two hours and, and getting the ball of the net as they shoot free throws or putting them through a high intense workout, everything's the same because it's all about bettering the player. Absolutely. So now I hope I'm not touching on a uh, touchy subject, but so, I mean, you guys have been phenomenal the past two years, uh, school record a couple seasons ago with 27 victories, regular season conference championship. And now this past season, you guys win the the championship and then you make the tournament. So, yeah. well, you know, what are the, well, first, before we get into all the emotions, what was it about these teams that made you guys so successful? Like, what was it that the coach was doing that you guys as a staff were doing, the players were doing? What made you guys so successful as a team? I think Coach Mahalik does a great job on a day-to-day basis in prepping our guys for game situations and having a great balance of when to go hard in practice and when to kind of loosen up a little bit and get them just a good sweat and workout and maintaining their bodies. And that's just a test to him because he is the type of leader that listens to what the coaching staff has to say and is on board with our strength and our trainers and everyone involved in our program. He has no ego. And I think that's a beautiful thing because he's so successful. I mean, he's in the, uh, Basketball Hall of Fame for the all-time leader in Mac wins. He was at Niagara for a long period of time where they had super success and comes to Hofstra where there's a lot of pressure and expectations and the guy's just a winner. And I think that how he's willing to listen to the people around him is awesome. And I think that he's just been doing it for so long and, and is so seasoned that he has a great feel on, you know, what our players need and what our players want, you know, He's tough at times. He hugs him at times. And I think that uh, him not having an ego is a major reason why we have success. And I think that we have a great assistant coaching staff who does an awesome job in evaluating talent and taking that talent and pushing them to the next level. I mean, Justin Wright Foreman averaged 1.8 points his freshman year and was the 53rd pick by the Utah Jazz by his senior year. And, you know, was is now averaging he just finished up the G League season I think he averaged 18 points a night and uh we had DeJour Bowie who turns into uh defensive player of the year his junior year and was first team all conference could have been conference player of the year this year and we're just taking guys who are pretty talented and really pushing them to the next level to be all conference players and having a chance to not only get drafted but make a lot of money overseas playing this basketball game and I think it comes from you know, it obviously starts with coach and the way he runs this program allows the ship to be as positive and smooth as possible. Absolutely. So one thing that I'm very curious and fascinated with is coaches deciding on team captains. So what is it that you guys talk about when you're trying to pick a team captain? So it's interesting you you say that and we kind of don't have for lack of like designated team captains. Right. I think the players know the players do that. And every day this year, there has been two guys sitting in the circle and that's Elijah Pemberton and DeJore Bowie counting out and everyone's following along. And it's, and it's great because it takes, it allows them to have ownership and allows them to have their hand on the program. And to be quite honest with you, I can't, I could be wrong, but I can't remember there 
being a staff meeting, we're saying who's going to be the captain. Um, I think there's meetings about who's going to step up and the guys do that themselves. And a lot of it's, you know, from their play on the floor, but also their leadership as well. Like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they chose our walk on Connor Clementovich, who's an amazing human being who works his butt off and the guys respect him so much. And he doesn't touch the floor during the games, you know, in crunch time. So I think that's a beautiful part of our program as well that uh, that's not looked on as much as it should be. Right. So what is it? Is there anything else other than Connor's work ethic that makes the team respect him? Because I know, I mean, I mean, play, you know, I think at the division one level player players are more mature than at the, the division three level, but you know, from firsthand experience, if, a guy on the bench is trying to tell me what to do, you know, or tell, tell somebody else what to do. I think a lot of people might look down on him be, or her if you're, you know, depending on the case, but I think they look down on the people who don't play as much at, at a lower level. So what is it about Connor that, that allows the team to respect him? I think one that he's a great person and he has a sincere interest in his teammates, but I think also like his work ethic. It's really, really hard, regardless of talent, to kind of belittle what somebody says if they show up and bring it every single day. And I think that if you do that, you might have to have a mirror check. You don't always have to listen but like and take their advice literally, but you have to be open to hearing it. And I think work ethic plays a huge part in that. For sure. So now let's get back to the to the hard part. And I'm sorry to bring this up, but I mean, tell me the emotions because now I'm actually talking to somebody who's been affected by the coronavirus and the cancellations of everything firsthand. I mean, what were the emotions like making the NCAA tournament and then having it get taken away from you so quickly? So the emotions were super high, you know, when winning it, obviously, but it was the first time in 19 years we cut down the nets first ever in the CAA conference. And, you know, for me personally, it's all I've ever dreamed about for nine years in the coaching since I've been coaching is cutting down those nets, playing in front of that huge, huge crowd on national TV where it's the most watched sporting event, you know, in the country. And I kind of felt for the kids right away. Obviously I I felt for myself, but for those seniors and all the guys on the team that work so hard. And that's all we ever talked about from, you know, the moment the season ended in a heartbreak when we lost in the championship game, two years ago to Northeastern until, you know, the championship game, pregame huddle. And you come to realize that, you know, it's bigger than basketball because look at us now, we're still in quarantine and, you know, people are dying on a day-to-day basis. And it's, it's you know, a tough time in the world in general. And you kind of have to take a step back and not be selfish and say, oh, I wish we were playing. We all wish we were playing and we all worked hard. And, you know, some people wish that they're, you know, grandmother was still alive or their uncle. So you really got to put that in perspective. And, uh, you know, jokingly, I say it, but it's true. You know, how many teams could say they ended the year on a win? And in such high fashion, you know, cutting cutting down some nets. So, you know, it's a shame, but also you got to realize that, you know, you got to be thankful to be healthy and that knock on wood, all of our guys were healthy and got through it and, uh, you know, ended – our seniors ended, you know, super successful. So what seed do you guys, do you think you would have gone? I don't know, but you know what? I think maybe a 12, 
but I, yeah. I can almost guarantee that we were going to play Villanova because of the history with, uh, and uh, Coach Mahalik said in the press conference right after we won, he's like, it's already done. Jay Wright was the last coach prior to coach who uh, right. went to the NCAA tournament, Speedy Claxon, who was an NBA draft pick uh, and played on that team and was, you know, the most coveted player and is the most coveted player in Hofstra history is on our staff now. So it would have been a great storyline. So whatever right. they would have seeded us, they would have matched us up with Villanova. <laughs> Man, that would have been cool. I, I, do, I read Jay, Jay Wright's biography uh, over the summer, and I do remember him talking about his time at Hofstra, but that's interesting. Yeah. So um, so let's talk about your podcast now, the Coaches and Coffee. I mean, you're interviewing all these, you know, Division One assistant coaches, similar positions to you. And, you know, what have you learned from the different coaches just about life, about coaching in general? It, it's great to hear different perspectives. And I've been a guy who's always read bios and uh, on every athletic website in all sports, especially successful coaches. And I want to see how they got to where they are and how they reached their success. And I think it's the thing that the podcast has done for me is that there's so many ways to skin a cat and there's so many ways to be successful that hearing all these different coaches that I've had on paths has been, has been awesome because there is no uh, black and white plan on, on, how to get to the highest level or how to become a head coach or how to become, you know, an assistant in the G league and even a division three head coach of all the people I've had on. And I think that it's been a, it's been great to hear different perspectives. I've learned a lot more about life than I have about coaching because some of the questions are more about them as a person and their style and, you know, their interest and what they do to become successful outside of basketball as well. So I think it's taught me a lot and it's been, it's been an awesome way to connect with, uh, new friends and old friends as well. Absolutely. So um, before we get going, before we wrap up, the last question I love to ask my guests is when you leave each coaching position, what are one to three things that you want your guys to have said about you as a person, as a coach? I think the main thing I want them to feel is every time, you know, a conversation ended or, an interaction stop is that I left that particular person feeling better and feeling and having a good positive impact on them, whether it's a coach, whether it's an administrator, whether it's a player, you know, I try and be the most positive person in the room. A lot of times, you know, depending on the situations, it might not happen, but I'm a firm believer and I want to make people feel good. And even if I'm having a bad day, that's not their fault. And I want to, I want them to, you know, feel good about our relationship and. I also want them to say that this guy was a relentless worker. You know, some days it's tough to uh, roll out of bed and put 110% effort, whether you're sick or not, or coming off a loss. But I, that's something I would cherish that uh, if I was talked about in that way and also just being a good person. I just want to always do things for the best interest of the program that I'm in, for the players and the people that I'm around. So, you know, I've had a lot of people that have had a great impact on me and have helped shape me into the person I am as a coach and as a person. And I want to, I want to just pay it forward and do the same for those people I cross paths with as well. For sure. I love that. I love that. Well, Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time, man. This has been awesome. I mean, a great story. Great to see that, you know, you're successful where you are right now and hopefully you get your own team one day and, and we'll go from there. But again, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Jesse, thank you so much, man. And I, I again, I want to reiterate, I think you're doing an awesome job with this. And I'm, I'm really flattered for you to have me on. And uh, 
looking forward to uh, building this relationship and staying in touch and go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. I love it. <laughs> we'll talk soon. All right, brother. All right.